So uh, yeah, now's the time to get your communion elements ready. And I'm not going to do it right away. I want to share something which came uh, over these last few hours with some, quite some strength. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. One of the things that I am looking for in my own life as I seek to influence others, not just believers, that we would actually believe the gospel. I mean, really believe it. Not saying we don't, but, but I think there is a level of realization of the facts, of the truth of the gospel. Because the truth of the gospel is going to so impact the universe, the world. And Christ, who is the central person and theme of the gospel, is coming back to this planet and going to change everything. And the dead in Christ are going to rise. And those who are dead outside of relationship with God will reap an eternity of separation. And this is not just some spiritual message. It actually must be the focus and, 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 and radically change how we live and how we go about our business, what we live for, what we hope for, and what, by the grace of God, should ever be necessary, we are prepared to die for. And I've seen so many radical people in the world recently. Radical people. People who are prepared to go sometimes to extremes to bring change and to influence wider society. And um, it's not always the believers who are standing up and being counted. Now, more of this happens than meets my eye because you guys are out there doing it and you know what's going on because you're out there even much more than I do. But I want to see more. I want to see people who are so radically committed to Christ and the gospel that they will take up the ministry that God has committed to us all. I want to drive home some revelatory facts of the gospel that you already know as we share the communion today. Two, uh, Hebrews 2 verses 14 to 15. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and to free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. So you know, this is about the fact that the enemy has been destroyed through Christ on the cross. This word destruction doesn't mean annihilation. 
It means rendering inoperative, rendering powerless, like a factory that has been set out of commission. There's nothing happening there, there's no power, it's still in existence, but it's decommissioned. Now in the decommissioning or destruction of the enemy, taking away his power, the outworking of that victory in terms of visible manifestation is progressive. And here, the Bible says that the enemy has lost his power, the power that he held through the reign of terror and fear of death. And we know that there's coming a time when the last enemy, which is death, shall be destroyed. This is the resurrection of the body, which is to come. But in the meantime, Jesus Christ has entered death, conquered death, hell, and the grave, and has been raised from the dead as the first fruits. So the fact that Jesus is resurrected, that's what we mean when we say Jesus is alive, he has been resurrected from the dead and is living in a transformed, resurrected body, which, which we will receive something quite like that ourselves. So there is this progress, uh, this process and the physical resurrection, the physical victory of, 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 uh, over death will be the last thing to be manifested at the return of Jesus Christ and the resurrection. Now, either that is fact or it's just a fairy tale. Now, the Apostle Paul said, don't think that I get a kick out of going around preaching a false message that makes people feel good, but it's not actually true. He said, if it's not true, I want nothing to do with it. Because in this life, we are of all men most miserable. He's talking about himself. Talking about himself. Not he's walking around being miserable, but in other words, he was getting none of the benefits of what you might want from this life. Uh, he, he was handing everything over to God and was actually suffering a great deal. And nearly all of the early apostles died for their belief in the resurrection. And this was something they were prepared to live for and die for. And so there is a fact, which means that there is coming a day when Jesus Christ will return to this planet and associated with the return will be the resurrection of all things, all people. And for us, it will be resurrection unto life because we know God and are not separated from him. We are united with him in life and therefore cannot be separated uh, from him in death. But those who die outside of the knowledge of God, disunited with him, will not suddenly be reunited to, uh, th th what, what will happen is their choice that they have made over their lifetime and their will that they have exercised against God will be honored by God and they, they will want nothing to do with him. Don't think that when somebody dies, goes, oh, I'm sorry, I got it all wrong. When they die in this broken relationship with God and saying, we want nothing to do with you, we kept you out of our life, that is the position that will solidify for all eternity.
That's what hell is. Maybe you should do a bigger study on that because there's a lot of misconceptions about it. But the wonderful thing is that we can be united and we can uh, see united with Christ and we can see victory over death. So Romans 8 verse 1 is, is this wonderful, wonderful declaration. Romans 8 verse 1. Oh, I realize I have to turn to it myself. Uh, it'll come up on the screen, but uh, I can't rely on just catching that. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's read it again. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it's the force of this word condemnation. Knowing that every human being born into this world is under condemnation and is under the sentence of death. This word condemnation is a technical legal term and it, 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 it talks about somebody that has committed an offence and has been judged for that offence and it's been, they've been proven guilty and have received the verdict of guilty and now are going through their sentence. All of that is under this word condemnation. So we're born into this world, born under the sentence of death. Want any proof for that? Two things are certain in life, death and taxes. That's one of the, most, the surest thing that you know of anybody in this world is they're going to die. And this was not God's original intention. Death entered the world through sin. And so this goes to show that the Bible is true, Romans 3.23, where it says, all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the proof of that is that we are dying. We will die. Cheerful, cheerful Charlie, aren't I this morning? But there is good news, you see. But I'm, I'm, I'm saying that this is demonstration that we're under condemnation. And people say, how can God sp speak such a blanket condemnation over humanity? Well, the proof is the sentence of death is written over all of us, and that's just physical death. The key thought about death is separation. Physical death is the separation of the body from the soul. All right? Spiritual death is the separation of us from Christ. Eternal death is the eternal separation of us from, of us from God. So we're all born under sin, all have sinned, and under a sentence. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Now we get to good news. Now we get to good news. And so, whereas once there was a blanket condemnation, we were living even under the very sentence of, uh, of sin. Not just were we guilty. Not just had we been 
declared guilty in some spiritual court or other. Not have we, were we just accused. We were proven guilty and sentenced and were already uh, enduring that sentence. We were already experiencing that sentence. And all of that is where every single person born into the planet, whatever faith, whatever religion, whatever culture, whatever belief system, born in sin under the condemnation of God. But the Bible says the grace of God has intervened and in the place of condemnation now God offers the gift of eternal life. And what that means is the sentence of condemnation is lifted and we are now under another relational uh, relationship with God have a different kind of connection with God not under condemnation but now there is no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus we are declared righteous in his sight forgiven justified ransomed healed restored forgiven washed cleansed now no more guilt it's gone in Jesus name no more shame it's gone in Jesus name no more blame no more accusation nobody can even accuse us before God because the blood of Jesus Christ has removed all our sin forever and ever amen and amen praise God that's the gospel amen and I want us to live in the good of it just going to read before we break bread and have communion together um, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 26 there's my reference which I said earlier the last enemy to be destroyed is death and we've got to understand this uh, the fear of death that uh, the writer of the Hebrews was talking about is, is this not, not just that death in itself is a scary business we're going into the unknown but but the fear of death is that is that as we carry this condemnation which we experience in life as we carry that beyond life into death then all that remains is that broken relationship which can never be restored and that is an eternity without God. Now we have been reconciled by Christ and yet we still die. And so where's the sense in that? Well God is saying, listen, everything in its own time. First of all, I give you the gift of eternal life and you are no longer separated from me. You're, you're spiritually, you are connected to me. You will never face eternal separation from me because there's no condemnation. But the last enemy that will be destroyed in terms of real manifestation is death itself. And, and we, we will live. We will live. We will not die. We will live. We will live with Christ and we'll live in a resurrected body. And so 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54, and just a little bit onwards to the end of, uh, end of that chapter. So, yeah, if you put it up for me, so it saves me. All right, okay. 
Thank you very much. When the, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. But there is a therefore, don't take it down, there is a therefore. And this is what brings us right down to where we are as a church right now as we come out of these three days of prayer and fasting. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always. We're not moving. We're not going anywhere. We're staying right here. Amen and amen. We're not going to backslide. We're not going to give up on the gospel. Not going to doubt the word of God. We're not going to give up on the church. Nothing, let nothing move you. Be steadfast, immovable. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. What is this telling us? This is saying... Put all your eggs in one basket. That's what RT always says, doesn't he? Put all your eggs in one basket. The whole of your life, invest all of your life in gospel and in serving God and in living for him. doesn't mean to say that we're perfect. I say that every Sunday that we live for God, that's our goal. We, We need to grow in our knowledge of God. We need to be shaped by the discipleship process. We have a long, long way to go. But this church is going to stand steadfast, immovable in the gospel because we believe we are investing in the right kingdom. Amen. Amen. And so we're going to be servants of Jesus and we're going to serve the Lord. Amen and amen. Oh well. Strike that. There ain't going to be no more time for anything else after this. But that's a good word. A good word for our hearts today. So let's bring all that into our experience right now of the communion. And um, we know that this speaks to us of the cross of Jesus. Uh, If you peel away the little top part, you should have uh, been able very carefully to to expose the little uh, wafer, little bit of bread. And you at home would like to take the bread. And we remind ourselves on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, take it, eat it. This is my body which is broken for you. So Father, today we receive this token, this bit of bread, which we recognize symbolizes the broken body of our Lord Jesus Christ in which he was crushed for our iniquities, bruised, broken, for our sin, that we might be made whole. And that as his body was crucified on the cross, on the third day, that 
same body was raised again as the first fruits of resurrection. And we will live because he lives in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. In the same way, after the supper, Jesus took the cup. It was also a cup of blessing, a cup of thanksgiving. And he said, all of you drink this. This is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you for the remission of sins. The blood of Jesus, God's Son, washes and cleanses from all sin. No more guilt, no more bondage, no more accusation, no more shame, no more condemnation all because of the blood of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We receive this bread and wine with thanksgiving. And we bless your name. Let this be to us spiritual food and spiritual drink that we may be strengthened in, our, in, the, in the spirit, in the inner man. In Jesus' name. Amen.